1: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
2: Why should you visit TheChairShot.com? TheChairShot.com is your home for hard-hitting reviews, news, opinion, and analysis. With attitude. Why? Because you're smarter than the average fan.
3: TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. August 10th,
2: 2020. Good evening, everyone, and welcome as the ChairShot Radio Network brings you the reaction here on the ChairShot Radio Network. Surprising, I know. I'm your host. My name is Harry Broadhurst. Joining me, as per usual, the Down Since Day One co-host,
3: Tony Acero. Tony, good evening. Hi.
2: Are you in a little bit better mood tonight?
3: Uh, I mean, you know, when... When you have a shitty show, there's not a lot to do to make it better, so I guess you could say by proxy, yeah?
2: I would argue that this week's show was a lot better than last.
3: Again, when you give me crap, it's not hard to be better.
2: That's fair. Uh, You weren't especially happy with SmackDown either, which is something that we'll get into, but before we get to SmackDown, even though we really don't... um, discuss it much on this show here. Are you watching any of the Women's Tag Team Tournament in AEW at all?
3: I've got to watch three shows a week and run a restaurant and write a book. So, no.
2: (laughs) Cameron came back to wrestling last week, Tony.
3: I, you know what? Don't even, don't even bring her (laughs) up. She is not worth my time. So, so, for as bad as it could be on Raw
2: and SmackDown, at least we don't have Cameron. Cameron.
3: Much like the killers, I'm Mr. Brightside on this sh- podcast. Yes, you are, and I wouldn't trade you for the world.
2: Yay! A compliment from... T- I mean, backhanded though it may be, still a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, before we go any further, rest in peace, James Kamala Harris, favorite memory of
3: the big man. Um, yeah, you know, I never like when you do this. Um, I don't really have many memories rest in peace because he's, you know, a dead fallen star and he gave people plenty, but I don't have any that I would be willing to share without sounding, you know, pandering.
2: See, I would think that as an undertaker fan, that the casket match going towards um, Survivor Series '92 would be your big Kamala memory.
3: I mean, that wasn't really a great match. So.
2: <laughs> no, it sucked. But at yeah, the same time, so it was the beginning. Memory? <laughs> it was the beginning. It was the beginning of a match that would
3: become a trademark for uh, the Undertaker. Yeah, you know me. I don't like bullshitting, and I don't have any favorite Kamala moment, so I'm not going to pretend that I do because he passed away. It's unfortunate, and I mean, I love any person who, you know, was a part of our wrestling family, but as far as a favorite match or moment, I don't have one.
2: All right, Tony, I'm going to try to give you a little bit of homework, even though you're probably going to ignore me, so I'll give the homework to the listeners of the show as well. There is a match from 2006 that I am going to encourage you to look up if you get the opportunity to at any point during the course of the next week. Kamala versus Brian Danielson. Yes, that's a real sentence. Just tossing it up. Okay. It's a real thing that happened, and it's kind of funny in my opinion. Nice. All right, as I said, rest in peace to the big man. Um, appreciation thread over on the Chair Shot wrestling page on Facebook.com. Feel free to join us over there. You can talk to all of your favorite members of the Chair Shot radio network and the website as well, and maybe a few of your not-so-favorite members, like Greg DeMarco. <laughs> Me and Greg have heat, apparently. All right, let's move on. You ready to get into this week's Raw on SmackDown, Tony? Yeah. All right, let's start here. We go back to August 7th for Friday Night SmackDown here. Our opening contest from Friday Night SmackDown took us to Matt Riddle versus Sheamus, and this would become part of a night-long theme with regards to Sheamus. As Riddle and Sheamus have their match, a little bit later on there's a match between Baron Corbin and... Who's, Corbin, who's Corbin's opponent? I'm drawing, Jeff Hardy. And then both of those matches are interrupted. Um, Sheamus's match with Riddle is interrupted by Shorty G trying to cash in the King's ransom, Chad Gable. He's still apparently Shorty G, though, which pisses me off. He should have became Chad Gable again. Changing character should mean a different name, one where he's not embracing the stupid name that the guy that he's now teaming with gave him. And then in the Jeff Hardy and Baron Corbin match, Sheamus got involved and got Baron Corbin disqualified by attacking Jeff Hardy. This led to Sheamus taking on Baron Corbin in a match because if there was one thing SmackDown needed, it was more Baron Corbin matches. And Sheamus picks up a clean victory over the king. Well, distractedly clean. When Matt Riddle does a run-through, not a run-in, but a run-through as he goes up on the top, jumps over, escapes the ring, and Corbin turns right around into a broke kick from Sheamus for the three-count. Let's take the three matches individually. Riddle and Sheamus. I actually thought this was a really good contest until the bullshit ending, but it's one of those bullshit endings that I think I'm going to be okay with, because you can save this match for down the road and put a clean finish on it later, maybe even with a pay-per-view and more time given to it for them to tell a, a bigger story. What did you think of Riddle and Sheamus to start the show?
3: Um, it was, You know, Sheamus is really good with those brawl-like matches where You feel like basically he's what Raw Underground is supposed to be looking like, but, you know, they're not really. Um, It just seems a bit more hard-hitting. He's always been known for that, and it comes off really well. Riddle is different enough to um, clash against that in a positive way, meaning they put on a pretty good match. I enjoyed it. Um, They got some time, too. So uh, it was a good opener, a solid opener. The interference, I'm not completely upset about. I don't like Corbin... I don't like um, Gable (laughs) uh, uh, in in his most recent Carnation. And really the only complaint that I had about this opening segment was that they made such a big deal about Gable turning, and then he got his ass handed to him, like, almost immediately. Twice. (laughs) Twice. First by Riddle, then by Sheamus. So I remember somebody saying last week in my... um, report that like you know to to get so mad at gable's turn at least it's interesting or he wasn't doing anything anyway or blah 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 but we we hear this complaint about making new stars and gable is arguably not really a star um i'm not saying he needed to be better than sheamus or riddle but he just got his ass added to him he just got beat up so this whole turn was for what for that king's bounty that we talked about last year, last week, that has still not been clear. I, I don't know what that is. I don't know what we're supposed to be looking for. I don't know if it's supposed to be Riddle's head on a stick, one of his frozen feet. I don't know what Gable is supposed to do in order to get that bounty. And it just, yeah, I don't know. The, the turn just came off. There's no reason now.
2: You know who else told you that at least this was something for Chad for Chad Gable to do.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: your reaction
3: co-host
2: you know who's kind of pissed off about the fact that gable was made to look like a joke in his first attempt at actually being something Mm -hmm. now
3: that they gave him a (laughs) storyline your reaction co-host Mm-hmm. yeah and this isn't even a moment harry where i'm like see i'm right you're wrong like no that's not what this is it's disappointing because it's like you got Harry here, who like really believes in Gable, and so what? The dude is amazing, and this was your opportunity to give us another person on the roster that we believe in, that we believe could do something. And you went from I'm gonna overcome bullying to I'm gonna team with my bully to now I seemingly can't even get a fucking move in. So. <laughs>
2: Yeah, the problem that I foresee is you spent the entire – you spent most of the entire episode last week with Corbin building Gable up, mentioning his credentials, mentioning the fact amateur Olympian, multiple-time former tag team champion. He um, was just recently involved in that four-way for the number one contendership to the Intercontinental title as well. He spent that entire – not that he deserved that, but still he was in the match – you spent the entire prior episode building up Chad Gable, Shorty G as you want to call him, as this athletic threat, and then you proceed to get a, have him get his ass handed to him twice in less than five minutes by two different people.
3: Ugh. Yeah. So that happened. Okay. But not, not to Let's take move away on. from the match itself, because I thought it was a great opening contest.
2: The second contest saw Baron Corbin versus Jeff Hardy, with Hardy picking up a disqualification win due to Sheamus interfering. Here, do you think that they're kind of teasing a Sheamus babyface turn here?
3: I don't. I don't think so. I don't know.
2: Or is this just a the enemy of my enemy is my friend situation where he's going after Corbin because Corbin cost him a match earlier in the broadcast?
3: Yeah, I just think he's annoyed with Corbin. That's all. <laughs>
2: I wouldn't mind Sheamus as a babyface though. I feel like I feel like Sheamus is one of those guys whose in-ring style translates to fans cheering for him just because like we talked about with Samoa Joe last week. When Samoa Joe said something or did something back when he was an active performer, you felt it. When Sheamus does something in the ring, you feel it cuz it looks like it hurts like fucking hell. Sheamus is one of the most viable athletes on the WWE roster right now. Sheamus over Corbin. Do you think that this extends any further than this, or is just Sheamus telling Corbin to stay out of his way?
3: No, I mean, it's going to go on. We're probably going to get a match at SummerSlam, and if we don't, um, we'll get a match next week. You know, they don't like to wait. <laughs> um, I don't know, it, it's it's interesting because you want to see Seamus beat Corbin's ass Corbin is annoying but I don't think that they're going to turn Seamus heel or face either and then what does heel and face even mean right now all you got, the only people that are booing or cheering are the, the people, you know, in the performance center and we don't even know what they're saying half the time they're just yelling random shit <laughs> not to mention, you
2: know, they're on the payroll so they're going to do what they're told you're not getting genuine crowd reactions to people right now because of the fact that you don't have an actual crowd to judge on. You've got the online community, but the online community has its favorites and its non-favorites regardless, even though the circumstances may be different from what they were before.
3: Yeah. And the lack of crowd really makes you question what the crowd would do in certain situations like Dominic's, you know, um, segment tonight, you know, like what, what do you think See, would feel- happen? So segments like this, like I think Shaman would be getting a pop if he, you know, knocked Corbin's head off, but I don't think that's what they necessarily want.
2: Do we have to discuss Mace TV?
3: No. The Only second part if- of it with so- oh, the, just the so- second
2: part of it with Sonya was really good because Sonya is so dialed into her character. Yeah. The the first part of it, whoever wrote that segment
3: should be fucking fired. I don't know how The Miz is so great on the microphone, and then Morrison comes, and it's just all bad. Like, it's bad. They're they're not funny. They're not entertaining. I'm, they're not even good heels. It's just, like, really shitty television. And we know it, The Miz is good. And Morrison, I, I have nothing bad to say about the guy – I mean, he fucking made a, a, a flip in the air look, like, so easy. Like, man. But, yeah, these segments, every single dirt sheet, everything that has happened since Morrison has come back is not funny in the least. And I know humor is subjective. And I know that, you know, there are some people out there that find a a wig cutting a mini promo slash interview funny. I just I don't know any of them. And... <laughs> and I'm not speaking for a majority, I'm speaking for myself, I was not entertained at all.
2: We are not, um, hold on, I'm trying to figure out the proper, we are not narcissist Narcosis for this particular segment, Tony. We are not the target audience.
3: But who is? That's what I don't understand. Do
2: you remember the phrase we've used before on the show of LCD booking? what of LCD booking. Oh yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah.
3: Does this not strike you as them going back to that? No, it's not even booking per se. It's just bad. It's just bad. Okay. So let's just say you have a talent, right? There's some talent that you could write for and they'll turn that into something good. And they have the permission to do so. You know, there's some people who can take a script and be like, hey, can I tweak this a little bit? Or I don't think my character would do that. Or what is the story we're trying to tell? And I think those are the people that are allowed to. Those are the people that we're hearing about, you know, who grab the brass ring, if you will. But then there's others who just do what they want. And there's nobody to tell them, you know, maybe that's not good or maybe not that's – Miz has been there long enough to basically, you know, I would assume, cut his own shit. And for whatever reason, nobody's telling him this isn't funny. I think I made a joke in the report that he's funnier on his new game show than he is on SmackDown. Well, I will say this much. I actually
2: I've, – I've watched a couple episodes of uh, Cannonball, and I thought it was a poorly done wipeout. But... Well, I mean, and his even co- wipeout is, in its own is cheesy. And his co-host is awful. Not entertained by Roxy Diaz, in the least. All right, let's get back to SmackDown here. Uh, what did you think of Sonya's, of Sonya's mic time that she got towards the end of the Dirt Sheet?
3: Um, Sonya's continues to kill it, and it's exactly what you said. She's fully aware of her character. And... um, um. She she does, exa- it's, it's fully fledged. She knows what she wants to get across. And sometimes she goes a little overboard, but you know what? She's a crazy ex-friend. So her going overboard is kind of obvious. But isn't that kind of a problem with that whole crazy bitch thing? Because that's like the, that's kind
2: of like the go-to for women in the WWE, is it not?
3: I don't find it a problem because Sonya has given a legitimate gripe as to why she's crazy. Legitimate in her mind most times I'm upset about it is when there's no rhyme or reason for them to be a quote unquote bitch, because that's just the go-to attitude or outcry or craziness that they go to just because whatever. In this particular case, Sonya's nuts and, and it was a break. I mean, if you want to go deep, you could say break in psychosis, but it's just like, it, it was a break and she just, she, she snapped.
2: Match number two was Cesaro and Lince Dorado. I've actually seen these two have a banger of a match in Shakara back at um, King of Trios 2007 Night Three, I want to say. Check out Smartmark Video for that one. But might even be up on IWTV as well, which for like $10 a month you get to watch a shit ton of indie wrestling. It's a really good deal. Regardless, this particular match goes five minutes and Cesaro gets the win with the neutralizer as they should because let's be honest, Tony we're not buying the Lucha House Party as tag team title contenders. Do you think the majority of the audience is?
3: Or do you think anyone in the audience really is? Uh, so here's the thing. It's very, very hard to critique um, former jobbers, I guess you could say, and get mad that they're getting pushed Um because you want new stars and you want these people to be in this position. So you come off as hypocritical if you're that same person who's like, oh, I don't believe Gran League should get a shot. And that's where it gets misconstrued because it's not that I don't believe he should get a shot. It's that it's not believable that he would get a shot. It's also not believable that a man would get his ass handed to him and then watch his friend get beat up in front of him and then just not care and decide to go after another title that is presumably lower than the IC title. Of course, that's, a, that's, that's subjective as well. You don't really know, but that's what we're being presented, and that's what makes us just not latch on. This very much looks like just another ring of challengers where, that pose no threat. And I know that I try my hardest not to do this, and I think I've been doing a really, really good job, but if you were to look at AEW, they're taking time to build, to build people as viable contenders for everything. I mean, even if you watch an episode of AEW Dark, you know who the jobbers are, but even they have some time, they have some character, they have some, you know, continuous thread that will eventually lead to something. It's just, it's it's wild to see Grand Metal League get an IC title shot and suddenly we're supposed to just believe that, oh yeah, he's he, he's a viable contender. Of course, if they continue to do this, maybe in a few weeks we'll start to believe that he's a person on the roster that could get to that point. But as it stands right now, no. And from him, him bouncing from one belt to another doesn't help the case.
2: Honestly, it just makes him seem kind of like a whore for titles. Like this opportunity is given to you? Okay, I'll take it. Oh, so this opportunity didn't work out. Then I'll take this opportunity instead. And I get that every wrestler should want to be a champion, but I, it needs leave some sense of logical tie-in as to why they're a contender for said championship. I could buy experimentally getting a shot at AJ Styles with the win in the four-way for the number one contendership. Why he was in that four-way in the first place is an entirely different statement, but the win itself was enough for me to justify his match with AJ Styles. There is no viable reason other than the fact that they got into a backstage confrontation that they should be going after the tag team titles right now. None. Nah. <clears throat> and okay, the, you know,
3: so... the, not to spend too much time on Grand Medal League, but you know the triple threat that he had? That should have been reason enough. He won a number one contendership. It makes sense, right? But even the commentary was making it seem like such a, like, oh my God, big shock. Wow. Like, how about we, oh, I can't believe I'm going to do this, but how about we give a little bit of backstory, a little bit of build up to the match or a like a, a a promo as to like you know no one's taking me seriously you're going to after today and that's literally it that's that's all you had to do and you know people and and then and then how you book the match and I think you would know this a little more than I would but inside the ring how are you booking this is he a force to be reckoned with is he winning because of his skill or did he win with a fancy roll up did he win because he he went in there and he like beat the ass of everyone, or was it evenly matched and he got kind of lucky? All that matters. All that matters as a viewer. You're like, okay, well, why am I supposed to believe that he's even a threat to AJ Styles at all? You know?
2: Walking dangerously close to fantasy booking there, Tony.
3: I know, Harry.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm just, for the sake of continuity on the show, at least something around here has it, I just wanted to point that out. All right, so we've talked about Otis with the briefcase. We've talked about the fact that at least at first we thought Mandy was going to screw Otis out of the briefcase. Apparently, when Otis actually gets a chance to be serious, Otis is a damn solid promo, Tony.
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: The promo that he had on SmackDown this past Friday where he talked about the fact that Miz and Morrison were treating what happened, to Ma- what happened to Mandy as a joke sits bad with him because, yeah, he's used to it. He's been picked on his whole life. But when you pick on somebody he cares about, the time for laughing is over. When Otis is angry, no one will be laughing. That was a really good promo by the big guy. Okay, so I still so don't buy him as the money. I'm We have a little bit of a delay in the line. I still don't buy him as the money in the bank order, but this was a step in a
3: positive direction. Go ahead. Well, remember, the guy with the briefcase doesn't matter until it matters that he has the briefcase. Um, <laughs> so I'm sorry if I'm getting Fair. a little a little uh, uh, in. Uh, distracted. I just got an email from a a person who has been commenting on the website for a very long time under the name. Well, I'm not gonna put his name out there, but he's been kind of trying to fi- um stealing my Sasha Love Thunder, and I I've, I've left him alone. Turns out, I don't know. Longtime listeners and or readers are aware of the Ragsy Awards. Um, the reason for the, for that uh comment or uh, award show. Just emailed me, and it turns out that he has come back to the site. <laughs> so it kind of threw me off. But anyway, yeah, Otis is. So wait a is, minute, wait, a, wait Otis, a minute.
2: Wait, wait. You're telling me that the guy who's stealing your Sasha Thunder is the, is the former Randy Ragsdale
3: with a different username? Yeah.
2: Son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's what's awesome. you know what's missing here, right? The gist of him ripping the hood off.
3: It was me, Austin. It was me all along. Um, God. Yeah, unfortunately, he said some disparaging comments and got banned from the site for, I believe, the second time. Um, but, yeah, I'm not – I'm not – I'm now a moderator of comments, but it's only because we've had a couple of people be incredibly rude and racist and sexist. So, But aside from that, you know me. I let everybody say whatever they want for the most part. But, man, I'll never forget the email I received that was cussing me out seven different ways from Sunday because of one reason or another. (laughs) Calling calling you everything but a Mexican. Yeah, I know, right? Um, But anyway, back to Otis. Yeah, you got to give the man props. That was a great promo, and there was no oh yeah about it. Like it was, I would love for that to be more caricature. I'm just not all that interested. I'm not interested in it. If you use that as like, he's a fun-loving dude, and then he like, It's not even a switch. It's just like, you know, y'all keep pressing me. I'm going to fuck you up. I love that because it's real. Because Otis, the character, he just wants to have some fun, make out with his hot blonde girlfriend, and he has the briefcase. But you keep poking him. You keep poking the bear. You're going to get bit. And I loved that promo. I think if there was a little bit more of that on a weekly basis, he'd be great.
2: Let me ask you this question here. Do you think Otis needs a much more viable finish in order to be taken seriously?
3: Um, well, you know, I've never been a fan of the caterpillar, as callbacky as it is to the worm. It just, it's, it's another way of making fun of a fat guy. I think, and I don't want to go that extreme, but I just kind of feel like every time he does it, and every time they make fun of him, it's because he's chubby. And in the world of 2020 where everything is offensive, I'm not trying to be sensitive towards that, but I want the characters to be more. You know, fat jokes only go so far before you're just like, well, okay, we get it, Dolph. He's fat. He still beat your ass, <laughs> like, repeatedly. All right, do you want to segue
2: that right into the tag team match, or do you want to go ahead and get that at the end of the show since we kind of started top to bottom? It doesn't matter. All right, then let's go ahead and knock out the tag team match then. Um, It is heavy machinery taking on Miz and Morrison. Miz and Morrison accompanied to the ring by Sonya Deville because apparently now that Dolph Ziggler's over on Raw, Sonya needs a new wagon to hitch to. I don't know why they can't just let Sonya stand on her own. In this particular instance, the match ends in a no contest when somebody runs in and beats up somebody not in the match. Tony, Jesus fucking Christ.
3: I mean, let's not forget that the matches before that were uh, there was an, there was an interruption, or you know, like the the opening match there was a DQ. I think Jeff Hardy's match was a DQ. Um, the whole night was just all right. Okay, is that what we're doing? <laughs> DQ, no contest. DQ. Five Felipe matches, three of them
2: had non-finishes.
3: Lince run one with a roll-up, which, you know, that makes you for sure on par Uh, with, you know, the tag team champions, for sure. Oh,
2: A, Lince got hit with the neutralizer and pinned.
3: Oh, my bad. Yeah, yeah. He tried for the roll-up.
2: B, out of the five matches on SmackDown this week, three of them ended in disqualification or no contest.
3: Damn, I forgot. They didn't even win against Cesaro. Why are we supposed to – how are we supposed to believe that they're even – All right, whatever. We moved on from that. Continue.
2: (laughs) Well, what's going to happen is is this week on SmackDown, Nakamura is going to take on Grand Metal League, and Grand Metal League is going to surprise Nakamura with a roll-up. Just because you called it right now on the show that wouldn't say beat Cesaro, that's that's what's going to happen on SmackDown this Friday instead. And then they'll be on the pre-show. Nobody will care, and Cesaro will continue to kick ass, and nobody will notice as has been the modus operandi for Cesaro for, like, the last... How long has he been in the WWE now? Eight years? Back to the tag team match, Tony.
3: Yes. Go ahead. So, um... The fact... This happened before... When did it happen? This happened on Monday, I think? Yes. Um, Bian- Apparently-
2: Bianca and Zelina, get- or not Bianca and Zelina, getting into it. Um, no, it was a singles match on Raw where uh, Sasha and
3: Shayna, where Oscar came out and attacked Bailey. Hmm. Yeah. So we have a match here which wasn't bad, but it wasn't exciting by any means. There was nothing really going for it either way. And Mandy Rose comes out with short hair, which is assumedly enough to confuse the shit out of Michael Cole because he's blowing a gasket as to who this possibly could be without like, without realizing there's no one else. It will be. Um, Yeah. So the, the, the attack, I guess on Sonya is what caused the DQ, which caused the no contest, I would assume. And apparently this is a new rule, but it only matters when, um whenever, you know, they see fit. Because if I recall earlier in the show, um, Well, it was Gable. Gable ran in, did not make contact with somebody and that didn't cause the DQ until later. So I don't know. It's just another instance where the rules are just not, they're arbitrary and they only make sense when they feel like it.
2: Do you think we need to get Do you think we need to get Otis involved in more singles matches in order to justify him having the briefcase? Are you okay with them being positioned as a tag team still with him despite him having money in the bank?
3: I've said before that anybody with a briefcase can be made into something if they put a little bit of energy into it. Um, I would I would be a little bit sad if um, Otis went on a singles round because Tucker would be left in the dark, and he's not all that great. I mean, from what we've seen, I'm not trying to insult the guy because we haven't seen a lot of him um, to begin with. So to divide him is just kind of not – I don't know. I I think it would be a disservice to both of them right now. The briefcase will come into play at the right time, hopefully, because we've talked about it. That guy deserves the big pop, and we're not going to get that with no crowds. So there will come a time when, you know, Otis is going to cash in and hopefully win. The alternative is they think he shouldn't have gotten it, and they only did it for the you know, small pop, and he's going to lose the briefcase to somebody else before it matters.
2: I know you hate when I fantasy book. But I'm almost saying that having him lose the briefcase to somebody else would bring out a more serious side of his character. Now, rather or not, that's relevant towards the eventual way they decide to go with him depends on how much longer they plan on keeping him and Tucker as a team. But I, I do think that if there's an, opportunity to, uh, there's an opportunity to make Otis a single threat here, more people are, more and more people are getting behind him, then having him lose the briefcase might be the way to do that in order to build up some more, more of a reason to be taking this more seriously, as it were.
3: Yeah, I don't know. I think that's just too, well, too cliche to a degree. And also, I don't think it's long-lasting. I don't think that you need to have that be the catalyst for a change. I just think enough of the the prodding, similar to what, have you know, someone messing with Mandy, that's, that's a bit much, and he's not cool with it. And that's one of those rare occasions where I was, I was great with that. You know, it's like looking at Seth and Becky and being like, eh, I'm not interested. Versus Otis and Mandy, they did something right because it's still interesting at the least. All
2: right, we've already discovered, we've already discussed Jeff Hardy and Baron Corbin. We already discussed Corbin and Sheamus. I think that only leaves the uh, the Fiend versus the Fiend and Braun Strowman segment, and then we'll get to the main event, the main event segment at the end because I'm sure we both have a lot to say about that. We were kind of talking about that back and forth in Messenger over the weekend how one of us was okay with it and the other one wasn't so much. You can probably figure out who's who, where you are, but we'll find out if you're correct here in a few moments. Uh, Fiend and Braun Strowman. First of all, the Alexa twist at the start of it there where Alexa kind of sort of flirts with Ray Wyatt, kind of-ish. What did you What did you think of What did you think of the Alexa and, and uh, Fiend interaction at the very start before we got the video interruption from Strumman?
3: Okay, so I'm thinking this is the old flirt with the bad guy so I can get away thing. But one has to assume there's there's so many things wrong here. First of all, did Bray or the Fiend, excuse me, was he in possession Same of yet. Alexa for an for an entire week? And did yes. he let her get a change of clothing? Because that was a sick-ass shirt that she was wearing. But also, she looked very America. well. She looked she looked done up and prettied up, and like she just sat down with Homegirl in the back that does makeup and hair. So what was what the was Fiend doing for a week, and how could she have not gotten away if, hypothetically, she was with him the entire time? Um, did she come out with him? Because I didn't see that. Legit, I did not see her with him when he she came out. She did not. So she was just sitting in the ring? Like, how did she appear there? And then you get to the weird moment where he tries to do exactly what he did last week, but for what? Like, what was he trying to obtain by doing that? What was he trying to gain that he didn't I, gain last week? I can't answer that. Right. So um, so we have I this, can't, this confusion. Wait, 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 wait,
2: wait. Wait, wait, wait. I actually do have an answer for that. The answer for that is he figured – that him going after Alexa, even though it didn't draw out Strowman last week, would draw Strowman out this week.
3: And if it didn't, is he going to do it three weeks in a row? I don't know. So then we look at Alexa like seemingly fall under Stockholm Syndrome, where she's falling in love with the person that kidnapped her. Now, like I said originally, it could be that she was just trying to get out of the situation, um, which we've seen in movies and TV and every thing every type of media before so it wasn't unheard of or a stretch at all and then you get Braun Strowman popping up to say that he don't give a damn about Alexa what What? What? what the fuck I'm not saying I need this monster to care but I'm not going to side with the whole you know he turned into a beast at the swamp I just think that not that it's bad storytelling it's just uninteresting storytelling it's not something that I think, I think anybody's interested in Who's gonna who are they who are they gonna cheer for? Alexa? And where did she go after this? <laughs> and that's kind of the important thing to me here is
2: the <clears throat> excuse me. The whole him saying he doesn't give a damn about Alexa, doesn't that erase basically everything you've ever done with Braun and Alexa? Yep. Which, hypothetically speaking, I understand sort of that it's Strowman's way of maybe attempting to get The Fiend to stop going after Alexa by Disassociating from her Which is A. Stupid And B. Unrealistic Because Alexa's the one thing that makes Braun Strowman Likeable I'll always enjoy Seeing Alexa. Strowman, not so much To the point though, I think that how do I put this? Quit. Knock it off. My tablet is trying to respond every time I say Blitz's first name. The problem that I have with this is that I just don't care. I don't care enough about Sherman to be invested. We haven't been given a reason to care about Alexa in this whole situation, even though sister Alexa was hot as fuck. And... All of a sudden, Wyatt's now taking Strowman seriously enough to bring out The Fiend after he was happy-go-lucky show enthusiast Bray Wyatt back at whatever the, the last pay-per-view was. I don't even remember what the show was. They met at Money in the Bank. Don't buy it.
3: Tony? I'm not. I'm me? not. Yeah, I'm here. Are you fighting with email still? No, no, I think my phone was too far away and you couldn't hear me. I'm not, I am don't have my headset on tonight. I'm using a, a speakerphone. Okay, then I did not hear you, and let's try that again. I just, I, I agreed with most of what you said. I'm just not, I wasn't interested in him suddenly not giving a damn about Alexa simply because he lost in a swamp.
2: I will say, the Tinder photo that you posted of Strowman, fantastic. Oh, thanks. Where can people find your SmackDown report at Tony?
3: 411mania.com Backslash Wrestling. Chill. All right.
2: Retribution. reason I named the show what I did. Main event segment,
3: Tony. How about it? Oh, dear. Okay. Um, I mean, on the plus side, they finally did some actual damage that one could assume would cost the WWE a lot of money. Because, let me tell you, flickering lights and blowing a generator just doesn't strike me as crazy, you know, people that deserve our time and attention. Um, I don't know why they got a name or when they got a name, but it just comes off as incredibly hokey. Because if they're, uh, I don't, I don't. They're just uh, so hard to to give any any credence to the legitimacy of this thing. Because it's just not, it's not interesting. Seemingly no wrestler cares about them. No, <laughs> no security cares other than one short guy from tonight. Um, <laughs> Michael Cole was uh, afraid of them, which I think is a a face turn if there ever was one um you finally get signs that they're anti-wwe when they spray a wwe logo and put a slash across it but prior to that you have no idea what these guys are against what is their motivation why do what are they trying to get retribution for how have these people been um put in a position where they need retribution because when the inevitable reveal comes and you see these people that you've seen on nxt You have to ask yourself, what are you so mad about? And what are you destroying the very building that you – why why are you doing that? And, of course, we can go full kayfabe, and they can be completely different characters that we've never heard of, change their name, they all wear different gear and everything. But as it stands today, you look no different than Akira Tozawa's ninjas, and they just got their asses handed to them on SmackDown and have before. So why should we consider you a legitimate threat when the most that you've ever done is chainsaw an inanimate rope? Let me tell you, first of all, that rope had it coming. Uh, it looked like it was only a couple of days away from retirement, to be honest with you. <laughs> Every cop
2: movie ever. Cliche, Tony. Well played. All right. <laughs> feel like this is going to end up on TV trope somehow. Anywho. Um, here's the thing. Do you remember the conversation we had last week on the show about how with the fireball and the backstage thing. And my point to it was, is that the reason I felt it came off as hokey as it did is because wrestling fans don't care about what happens behind the scenes. Wrestling wrestling fans care about what happens at ringside. That's how Nexus was able to make the impact that it made in its debut by coming to ringside and destroying everything. They literally came to ringside and destroyed most of the stuff. I'm not going to say that this is right out of the Nexus template, but it kind of was. That being said, I'm more invested in their involvement ringside and even going after the trainees at the Performance Center than I was with them throwing a Molotov cocktail at a fake-ass generator with extension cords. Tonight on Raw did nothing for me again. and We might as well segue their involvement tonight on Raw into this as well. They threw a cinder block, kind of, through a window. They flipped over a car and a really short security dude attempted to get in their face and then backed down really quickly. What is that guy? Like five foot nothing? Get the fuck out of here. He
3: yelled at he yelled at them so hard though. Like he like security is his life. He was so upset that they broke the window and then threw another cinder block into the, the window. empty window. <laughs>
2: That poor window. It also was close to retiring. Yep. All right, so let's go ahead and roll this right into tonight's interaction here with the, uh, the lights once again flickering in the arena and the, the cinder block being thrown through the window and the car being flipped in the parking lot here. The, the reports are that none of the people that we're seeing inside of the outfits right now are involved in the actual main makings of the group. And the problem that I have with that is that you're almost kind of running as sort of a cult-like gimmick, almost to an extent. And it comes off as a really bad Dark Order parody.
3: Look, man, I'm not saying I've seen some rumblings, and I'm not saying that I side with it completely. Um, but if this is any correlation to the rooters and looters and rioters of you know the Black Lives Matter movement, then. Man, are they tone deaf. But we'll see. We'll give them a little more time because, oh, it's just not – I feel like they always do this. Like, are you guys unaware of the world outside of the WWE bubble? Uh, Absolutely.
2: If there's anything that we've proven about Vince over the course of the last couple of years, he is 100% and entirely tone deaf.
3: Yep.
2: Uh, we we almost forgot your bay, so we might as well go back and cover that real quickly. Nice to Stephanie to uh, come back to to cut off some more ovaries.
3: I never forget my bay. First of all,
2: it was nice to step to return <laughs> you... to
3: cut Bailey and Sasha off at the knees, though wasn't it? I mean, you know, it wasn't nearly that bad. I think she could have done much worse, but I also don't necessarily need Stephanie to be the the spokesperson for the women of the WWE. It just seems so altruistic. It seems like she's doing the women a favor by being the the fair and, you know, whatever, you know, overlord of all things with vaginas. And why is it that it only comes up sometimes? If we're going to have a person in a role of power that can make these decisions, then it needs to be consistent because all of a sudden Sasha can make a match that Oscar has to beat Bailey. But we just saw on SmackDown that Steph can, you know, like make decisions as well. So who's, who's the boss here? (laughs) And somewhere
2: Adam Pearce is backstage, and he hasn't made a match in a couple of weeks, so you know he's getting antsy. I get your point, and I think that that's one of the things that they kind of struggle from not having a defined authority complex. The problem is is when they have a defined authority complex, they tend to overuse the authority complex, and it gets to the point of diminishing returns. Right. You'll have to forgive us. There's a little bit of a delay in the line. That's why Tony's responding a little bit later here and why we've talked over each other a couple of times as well. We apologize. There's nothing we can really do. It's the way the phones are set up through blog talk.
3: All right, let's get... Yeah, we've only been doing this for fucking six years and we still haven't figured it out. Sorry, guys.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Overall show rating for SmackDown, Tony.
3: Um I think I gave it like a 3.5. I was I, last week's wrestling was fucking horrible. It was so bad. I gave it a
2: 4, which is what I gave Raw. I did enjoy the Sheamus involvement. Sheamus and Riddle basically saved the show for me as much as uh, much as it could be. And then uh we we'll, we'll talk more about MVP a little bit later on in the show because there is a specific performer that stood out as the MVP for this week. And I want to give them a a special shout-out when we do our actual final reaction at the end of tonight's Raw discussion. So let's get over to Monday Night Raw tonight. We open with a contract signing for Seth Rollins and Dominic Mysterio. Um, You mentioned that that Dominic has his own quasi-ray remix. I actually think that might have been 1,000-foot crutch.
3: I mean, shit, maybe. All I heard was 619 and, you know... Well you know who does Ray Rey Mysterio's music, right? Uh I used to. I forgot. P O D. Oh okay.
2: Uh I think, I'm not certain, and I'm sure if I'm wrong, somebody will tell me, but I think Dominance Music is by thousand foot crutch. Um how is it that Samoa Joe comes
3: off as more of a badass than anybody else in this segment? I mean, the unfortunate thing is that they were doing that because they understand that Dom still can't really cut a, a full promo. Um, so they wanted Joe to speak for him. This, of course, is me assuming that, not it to be true, um, which in any other situation would be great. But Joe's not fighting for him. So it just comes off as exactly what you said, Joe being the badass of the room. Um, I feel like Dom, I think I said this last week, Dominic is like, it's very unfortunate, the 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 way that he's being presented because I don't think he's going to win anybody over, which is why I think they did what they did tonight. I don't think his promos are that bad. I just think he doesn't have the intensity. And in a, a feud where someone tried to poke out your father's eye, you should be pretty fucking pissed. So, <laughs> But, again, who am I to tell him how to be upset, you know? Um, I think that this is uh, just – You don't, not everybody has that swagger. And you have to look at his dad. His dad isn't a good promo either. So, you know, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. (laughs) Real
2: question for you, Tony. Would you be more invested in this match if it were a tag match with Joe involved and
3: Murphy involved? I think now it's time to shit or get off the pot. We've had so many almost instances where, Dominic has almost wrestled, has almost been in a match, was almost going to have that bell ring in attack and it just hasn't happened yet. So, I'm willing to I, I hope I really really hope he has an amazing showing. I want him to be like I want him to prove everybody wrong. I want him to show us that he knows what he's doing, he's fully capable and um I just I want to be surprised and I want to be shocked and I want him to succeed as a wrestler. Um, the stipulation, however unclear it may be that he can use kendo 6 and all the toys in the toolbox that they said at least eight times. Um, I'm not, necess- I'm, I know it's there to cover up any mishaps that he may have, but I think that, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm really interested to see how well he does. I'm, I'm holding out positively for him to do well.
2: My assumption is no holds barred for the contest.
3: But just for Dominic, or because that's what he made for it sound both. like.
2: See, the thing is, is you can't really do that because Ziggler just used that as his stipulation back at Extreme Rules. Well, oh, I mean, exactly. this is their this is their creative. So going back to that well this quickly would not be beyond them. I hate that I get so bitter at times on this show. Like I want to be, Sorry. I want to be Mister Positive, because I do think that. I do think that Dominic and Seth could put together a pretty good match here. And with them having the opportunity to, let's call it what it is here, with them having the opportunity to kind of have the time to put this match together outside of having to work live events and stuff like they normally would, I believe that they're given themselves every opportunity to have a strong match at SummerSlam. That being said, I'm worried that they set Dominic up to fail by putting his first match on such a marquee event. And against I such a marquee know.
3: opponent. I think it's fine. I mean when you look at Seth Rollins, the fact that he's even willing to kind of be this guy's I mean chances are Seth is gonna lose. And that's kind of a big deal. You know, I'm hoping that it's belief that he's worth it and he's good and not that he's Ray Mysterio's son. Um but no, I can't I can't get mad at this because Yeah, it it may very well be nepotism. And there may be people in the crowd looking at Dominic like, what the fuck, man? I've been here for this long and blah, blah, blah. But I don't know. Maybe he's got something to prove. I'm I'm excited for it. What
2: did you think of the post-match beatdown? Well, real quick, uh, Seth Rollins takes on Humberto Carrillo. Carrillo's a jobber of, sorry, enhancement talent and gets treated as an enhancement talent, losing in about three minutes. Post-match, Dominic tries to make the save for Carrillo when Carrillo – or no, excuse me, I take that back. What happens is Murphy attacks Dominic at ringside and sends him into the ring. Dominic tries to make his own save, and Seth Rollins proceeds to beat his ass with a kendo stick. Murphy gets involved as well with a double-team kendo stick beatdown. The match itself was a throwaway. It was just there to give Rollins a win. What did you think of the post-match angle with Murphy and Seth laying the – What did you think of the post-match with Murphy and Seth laying a beating to Dominic with the kendo sticks?
3: Okay. Uh, There's this weird – okay, so being in the indies, um, you and me, in the various roles that we played, I recall um, there used to be this tradition where if it was a wrestler's birthday, before show, before curtain – the wrestlers would all get in a ring and that birthday boy or girl would get chopped to holy hell by everyone. One chop from everybody for their birthday. And I remember sitting there thinking, I hope to God they do not find out my birthday is in a month because (laughs) I don't know that I could go through that willingly. And it takes me back to that time where whether people outside of wrestling believe it or not, that was a tradition that they held, and they held it in high standards amongst themselves, and it was what they did. And I'm not saying that's every indie place, but I saw tonight kind of as another variation of that, where as a viewer or a casual viewer, like you see this and you think, okay, that's enough, right? So from I looked at it in two ways from a smart perspective, um, it. Dominic trying his hardest to tell you guys to tell us he's taking this very seriously and he wants to be a wrestler and he is willing to get his ass beat back and forth, back in front to show you this isn't just some, you know, I'm not just Ray Mysterio's son. I, I want this. I'm willing to have bruises all over my body for this from a Mark's perspective. Seth Rollins is an asshole, <laughs> and he is evil. And if I didn't care about Dominic now or before, I care about him now. So I enjoyed this segment. It was a little cringy, and I felt kind of bad at certain moments, but that old-school mentality, which is, like, super old-school now, especially in 2020, like, this is, like, old-school. Old school. Like, it was now. Essentially- Yeah, like a hazing, like a welcome to the club. I can I can only imagine him walking to the back and getting high fived and hugged and welcome to WWE and welcome to the club, you know? Well,
2: in in my area it wasn't a birthday thing, it was when somebody finished their training, that's when they went through Chop Day. Oof. Kind of a welcome to the business kit situation. I
3: don't care how you cut it, Harry. Any chop looks like it fucking hurts. So, um, <laughs> um, the most the most famous comment of all about
2: chops. Are you familiar with what Bret Hart had to say? Uh, what? No. Bret Hart said that chops are the worst move in professional wrestling because this is a business where we're supposed to make it looks like make it look like it hurts without it actually doing so, and there is no way to fake throw a chop.
3: Nope.
2: Which I mean between chops and headbutts I don't know what's stupider if we're being honest. Nobody wins on a headbutt. Yeah, butt. I mean but even headbutt at least you can block gimmick.
3: Yeah. Yeah. The chop the worst the was... best you can do is, is cup your hand but then you're not getting the sound and that's the only reason why you're chopping is to get that sound. So it just seems like a Oh. I've only ever gotten one top, and I'm not a fan. (laughs) One was enough for Tony. Yeah. I'll I'll stick to it.
2: You you stay on that side of the guardrail, kid. (laughs) Um, Andrade takes on Angelo Dawkins. Before the match, Zelina gets the mic time and tells everybody that they had nothing to do with what happened to Montez Ford. Uh, Angelo Dawkins does not believe this. And that leads to them running back the opposite match that they ran on last week's episode of Raw when Andrade took on Montez. This time it's Andrade taking on Angelo since Montez isn't there. The end of the match, see Angelo pick up the victory with the pop-up spinebuster that they called the Cash Out, although that's technically the name of Montez Ford's Frog Splash, but that's neither here nor there. And then immediately after the match Zelina Vega is thrown into the ring by Bianca Belair. Zelina rolls back out. We take a commercial and we come back and the match has started. Amazingly, exactly what they said they were going to do ends up happening. Before we get to Andrade before we get to Zelina and Bianca, what did you think of Andrade and Angelo? Um
3: I I think Andrade is amazing. So you could put him with anybody, and you're going to get something good. Dawkins, I think, needs a little bit more, um, just a little more time, a little more practice. He's not bad, and he's definitely got a bad rep online, which I'm not 100% sure why. Um, but he doesn't come off as a single star, you know? I agree. And I think that's
2: one of the, the main knocks on Dawkins, is the fact that he had been in developmental for as long as he had before he formed the team with Montez Ford. I don't think there's any question that Ford is the breakout of this team. It's just where do they go with Dawkins from there once Ford does break out onto his own? Because I think you have a single star in the making in Montez Ford. He's the better promo. He's the better athlete in the ring. He's much more charismatic. Dawkins is going to get geneted, and I don't mean admitting to a murder on Facebook.
3: Yeah, dumbass. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Did you see the meme that made the rounds after that?
3: It spread quickly.
2: All in all, it's just another brick to the skull. I chuckled. I'm a terrible person, but I chuckled. All right, so Zelina and Bianca have a match afterwards there. And I got to give these girls credit. They actually made it look more like a fight than a match, which makes sense given where they are because Bianca wants to whoop that ass for what she thinks Zelina did to Montez Ford, whereas Zelina just wants to get through this because she's more focused on getting Andrade and Angel Angel Garza the tag team titles.
3: I, I enjoyed the match. I did like that Bianca's, I mean, the girl, I wish she got more shine because we just haven't seen her enough. Um, Zelina proved that, you know, she still can wrestle. Um I think the um one thing I wanna point out it. with Zelina continuing to claim that she did not do it is an interesting fold and I kind of really, really would like for it not to have been her. Um, I think that would be the smart thing to do because it it gives a little bit of weight to what she says when she says it and it also okay, creates let me a feud ask, with somebody okay, else.
2: Let me ask you a question. Would you be okay with it being one of her team members doing it without her knowledge?
3: Mm, I mean, I don't want anyone to poison for it. We talked about it last week. Um, but of course. if it were someone, if it was like someone from that stupid ass group of people that I'm not going to call by name um, that broke the window, then that is evil. And that is an edge that they very, very sorely need. So I would be like, all right, well at least they're doing something different than flipping a car for no reason. Um, so if that's the case, then we have a ready-made feud with whoever it is that's eventually coming in. I don't stand by their their build. I don't think that they're gonna be great. But if, like I said, if that's the reason, if that's something that they did to create, you know, animosity amongst the others, then that's more evil than anything else that they're doing right now. And I can understand that. That makes sense to me. You're picking up a bunch of extra clicks on your
2: uh, on your raw report, Tony, because my my page keeps refreshing. Where can people find the raw report?
3: Four One One Mania dot com in the wrestling section. Chill. You know, sorry, I, I have, just needed to I say. Some time. Thanks. I will say. Go I've ahead. Been picking up a lot. I've been picking up a lot more readers um, ever since you know Larry unfortunately passed away. It's been It hasn't been hard. It hasn't been a transition because I've been doing this for a very long time. But I had the unfortunate shadow casted over me of Larry because the people loved him. And I'm not interested in being loved. I'm interested in being read. Um, (laughs) But the problem is, and one thing that I've run into is that my live report, everybody gets along and everybody's awesome. The raw report that I post after that, mm, not so much. Um, But we're getting more and more into the... The no comparison to Larry, and it's just more or less mine. That's my report. So I, I'm I'm really I'm really liking the growth here.
2: Speaking of the readers of your live raw report, give a quick shout out to X Collector.
3: Yeah, poor guy.
2: Fight the good fight, brother. Or hope we're sending our best. All right. VIP Lounge is up next. I missed it. I apologize. I did. I had a phone call come in. It's something I had to take care of. I missed the VIP Lounge. I turned back in in time to hear Apollo cut his promo and him call himself a bad man because apparently he's been listening to John Cena's CD. And that led to a singles match between Shelton Benjamin and Apollo Crews where MVP and... Lashley get involved, distracting Apollo long enough for Shelton to hit the most devastating finishing move in professional wrestling. No roll up.
3: So I, I love Apollo, um but the dude's gotta stop laughing in promo. <laughs> He's got it's like if I could go back to the Indies one more time, it's like promo cutting 101 you say something crazy and then you laugh it off like it just it doesn't work for everyone and it doesn't work for Apollo um but other than that strong strong showing even though the match was short it's Apollo versus Shelton like that's just exciting in its own right um I think the winner here is the tossed furniture Apollo picked up an entire couch Harry and threw it out of the ring now I don't care if that couch was like five pounds it looked badass. <laughs> I think it was
2: actually a futon. Remains. Tony, you have nothing to say to that?
3: <laughs> I don't think it matters. No, no.
2: I mean, futon or not, still impressive. So Mickey James is back, and unfortunately, so's Lana and Natalia. And apparently, Lana and and or, excuse me, Mickey James and Natalia are going to go one on one next week. All right, couple of things here. One, welcome back, Mickey. We missed you. Happy to see that you're back. Hopefully, shoulders all good to go again. Women's division, despite the fact that Mickey is getting older, we'll say. She's still a, a name that most modern most fans will recognize as being part of that original class of women that were starting to try to change the perception of women in the WWE. Mickey, Trish, Lita, Victoria, Molly, Jazz. She was a part of that group that was originally trying to change things in the WWE for women. So she has the name value in doing that. Natalya, towards the end of that group, joined as well. It's just, I have a really hard time giving any single fuck about anything that Lana does. Oh, did you know that Lana and Natalia are color coordinating now? Isn't that special?
3: I don't care about this pairing. I don't care about Lana. I think that she's a horrible performer. Um, Everything, everything that, I just, you don't even have a TikTok. That's not even like heelish. That's just dumb. It just is, it's just a stupid thing to say. If there's one thing to gain from this segment, it's to look at Mickey James and everything that she says and then directly compare it to Lana and everything that Natalia says. See a night and day here. You could see a good promo versus a scripted one, you could see a natural personality versus a forced one. And you can see someone who knows the business versus someone who knows WWE. And Natalia is an amazing talent and she's great in the ring, but she has yet to grasp the concept of character work. Um, Lana is just bad all around. It's just horrible pairing. And it's not even one of those situations where you're like, I hope she gets better because she's been there for a while. And I think somewhere in her head, she thinks there's no reason to get better because she's Lana. <laughs> Tony, I'm going to quote the best person
2: I can about this particular segment. You know who that is? Who? You. What a visual huh. comparison of skill and talent versus air and vapidity. Yeah. Speaking of a lack of talent, the Ninja Squad is back.
3: Oh, man.
2: And teaming with Akira Tozawa... To take on Cedric Alexander, Ricochet, and the Viking Raiders, because apparently now that the street profits are off getting poisoned, uh, Eric and Ivar need new black best friends.
3: Am I wrong? I don't. I, I don't like when when the wrestlers do something funny, and then the other wrestlers laugh to the point where they seemingly can't control themselves because. We're supposed to think it's funny too, um, which is the backstage segment with some no name. Um, and I'm getting real tired of like Ivar being the ladies' man because it just it's it's not funny. It doesn't really do anything one way or another. It doesn't affect a uh, another wrestler or another person. So it's just like all right, I get it. Ivar is not is really the, cute, but that's the joke.
2: Was that the, wasn't that the same chick from The Bachelor from last week?
3: Um, probably. I just didn't want to give them any actual, you know, notice. Um, I don't,
2: I don't remember her name, so I'm not, and I'm not going to look it up because frankly, I don't care.
3: I think what bugged me the most about all this is that the match wasn't even a match. I mean, you had people going into the ring just to get hit. That's not, that's not a match. This was, this was pointless. You really, the only thing you gained here was that our truth is the 24-7 champion yet again, and we all know how I feel about that entire title. So this was a throwaway moment for me, for sure.
2: Drew McIntyre has a backstage promo with, uh, Charlie Caruso. A, Charlie looks smoking hot ass for you. B, I really liked McIntyre's dig at the very end. What did you think of the promo? And what did you think about the callback at the very tail end of the promo?
3: Um, yeah, solid. I think that, um, I think that Drew did well here. It was a very small, you know, short promo, and that that was great. The tie-in with Owens at the end there, the, just everything. Everything was good. I, I enjoyed it. And it did help to, um, you know, give reason as to why Drew came out at the end of the show, even if it was a little bit um, too long.
2: <laughs> did you like the evolution has passed you by line?
3: Yeah, yeah, of course I like that. You know it's funny. I, I was thinking about it last week, and I'm like, who the who was it that was supposed to be an evolution? That and it turns out it was Jindrak. Jindrak. Like it was, yeah, it was completely pointless to even bring it up. But it was on my head for it was in my head for a minute.
2: Um, there's actually a episode of WWE Untold that's really good that focuses on Evolution, and they actually discuss Jindrak's potential involvement with the group. If you get a chance to watch it, I highly recommend it. It's it's a good watch. It's only like 40 minutes long. There's one thing that the company can do. It's put together an entertaining documentary.
3: Ain't that the truth?
2: Match six, Peyton Royce and Liv Morgan. And apparently, despite the fact that they just became friends again, we're already teasing dissension in the ranks between Brody and Liv. Super. Do you think that this is more along the lines of the way that you expected this to go, though, where they slowly, casually, they sort of casually work out their differences and end up reunited? Or do you think that they kind of jumped the shark with this by having them come together and win a tag match with a double team afterwards last
3: week on Raw? There's not even a shark to jump. I'm not interested in this at all. Um, Aside from that, there's nothing being worked out. They're not having a conversation. They're not – helping one another out, they're not, they're they're just, they're losing. And I I don't want the commentary, like, are they going to be friends again? Or we just saw her cry and hug last week. And what they're trying to do is prolong the inevitable, which is they team up and they face the Iconics and they win. But the only thing that I'm getting out of this entire thing is that Peyton Royce is getting better every fucking week. Agreed. No
2: arguments here
3: yeah, so let's focus on that. She's great. I would
2: argue, i I would argue that Billy Kay has improved significantly in her time away as well. I do think that Peytons the better <laughs> performer and the more overall rounded performer, but Billy's stepped her game up since she's come back to Monday Night Raw, too.
3: Um, don't take away Peyton shine, please, by mentioning Billy right now. Thank you.
2: Speaking of shines, your girls up next.
3: Are you saying it's boss time? No,
2: I would never say that. <laughs> oh. And I kind of want to punch. And I kind of want to punch a puppy every time. Every time anybody on WWE television does.
3: Yeah, I wouldn't mind doing something to puppies. Um. So okay, <laughs> uh, as much. As much as I love Sasha and her outfit tonight, this was not her segment. Bayley and Asuka killed it. Like, holy shit. They had this, sequ- this sequence of submissions that was just beautiful. Chef's kiss. Um, and the only complaint that I could bring up here is that it followed the WWE formula where nothing mattered before the break. And I really wish that they broke that trope because it just... It, it, it makes everything happening before the commercial somewhat unimportant. But they just, man, I think, me, I, think I even, I maybe think I underrated it because I just, I'm looking back on it now mentally and that thing was a piece of work. And I think the reason why is because everybody knows that Asuka's great. Everybody knows what to expect when she's in the ring. I don't think Bailey gets enough credit because she's been such a heel that a lot of her matches aren't that competitive. You know she's got cheating. She they're really short, or she's doing dastardly things. But this was a great competitive wrestling match, and I major props to both of them.
2: You know I'm a mark for the old school when it comes to wrestling. So I popped like a biatch for that Indian death walk. Mhm. Overall, I thought the two girls killed it. Um, fantastic start to finish match. I agree that while the start of the match was less important than the end of the match was, you still felt like Oscar went in there to rip this bitch's head off for what she did to Kyrie. And they even played into that throughout the course of the match with Bailey slowly and slowly mocking Kyrie more and more throughout the match, to the point that it set Oscar off, and she was able to counter out of Bailey's attempt at the Bailey to belly straight into the rolling arm breaker and then into the Oscar lock for the finish. Fantastic match from the ladies there. No arguments at all. Props where they are due. And yes, I do agree. I do think you underrated the match.
3: What did I I rate it as?
2: You put it at three and a half. I had it at four.
3: Uh, Yeah, it was a really good match.
2: All right. So our main event on the evening, because we're going to circle back and discuss Raw Underground all at once at the end. Our main event on the evening is Randy Orton taking on Kevin Owens. Before the brick, Owens is dominant. Coming back from the brick, Owens still has control, but then Orton takes over. In the end, Owens goes for the stunner. Orton counters out of the stunner and spins Owens into an RKO for the three count. Clean pinfall victory for Orton, which kind of surprised me as I was sort of expecting them to go the disqualification right after having done so, so much over the course of the past week in the WWE. Were you surprised to see them give Orton a clean victory here over Kevin Owens?
3: No, no, and I wasn't really all that upset about it either. Um, I don't no, think that Orton Owens needed hurt to win. By losing, I mean, sorry, Owen, but and I think that he and looked Orton, good. And,
2: and Orton needed the win going into the Summerslam match with McIntyre, I think, too.
3: Yeah. Continue. I'm sorry. No, I just, I just, I was just saying that Owens, you know him losing really, I don't think hurt him at all. And not that Orton needed a win, but it made sense for him to win. And, um, Owen can hopefully move. Owen can hopefully move on to something a little different than, you know, this particular situation right now.
2: What everybody will be talking about after the end of this though, is what happened with Orton and flair and Orton officially taking flair out. Um, Flair has no business being in the shows right now with his age and his health conditions anyways. Flair has no business bumping at his age and his health conditions either, so I do appreciate the fact that they kind of protected Flair from the bump. That being said, if you were going to go through the hassle of putting Orton and Flair together, do you think it was the right call for Orton to turn on Flair leading up to the build-up to SummerSlam here like he did?
3: I mean, yeah, I think that this was the best possible scenario they um They utilized the fact that flair they probably just didn't want to use him anymore, so if you're going to get rid of him, you don't just make him disappear. you know you do what you can to make sure everybody knows that Orton is a sadistic son of a bitch um, that will turn on even his closest mentor, you know, so I enjoyed every minute of it. Flair on the microphone is very scary and iffy because he doesn't always make sense. And I will admit that there were moments uh, during tonight where you're like, uh-oh, he's he's spiraling. Um, the end result was Flair of yesteryear, who ironically was saying that he's not the old Flair, pulling on the emotional strings of wrestling bands, um, bringing reality into the fiction, and I think that even considering his circumstances, he did a really good job. Orton also did a really good job. You really believed him, like you know, he didn't want to face Owens, and Flair made this match for him. So it's like, dude, what the fuck? <laughs> so I I enjoyed it. I think that it was a great way to close the show. Um, them using the flickering of the light to mask the punts was really well done. Um, even if you know he didn't really kick them, I think it's irrelevant. Why would you want him to really get kicked? So it was one of the first instances Agreed. where the flickering of the lights really helped in the show. I think the only other person that's been able to make that work into something great has been MVP. So I think this was a really, really solid way to close the show.
2: I agree. I think protecting Flair there as well as you can in in his state. Like Orton mentioned, Flair is a pacemaker nowadays. Rick Flair doesn't need to be taking a single fucking bump anymore in his career. Flair's taken enough bumps to last him several lifetimes throughout his career. So protecting Rick on the write-off as well as they did was – the perfect way to go about it there and I do appreciate the fact that Rick even going out the door used his opportunity to have that last bit of my time to say yeah I am a little bit of a whore for the spotlight but at this point in my life I'm just Charlotte's dad and Randy Orton's friend or at least I thought you know, I was Randy almost, Orton's it's almost bad like I just want to hang out with you bro <laughs> <laughs> that's how we went off the air for Raw with McIntyre coming in to chase Orton off after Orton delivered the punt kick in the dark there um, you quoted McIntyre's line in the reaction. And I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Really, really, even him, you son of a bitch. I don't know if that line had the gravitas that they think it might have had coming from McIntyre.
3: There. Now, I mean, you know, it's just, Drew is Drew. I think Drew is a really, really buff. Um, watching the documentary that you had of him and hearing him talk outside of the WWE, he's a really buff dork. He's he he's a wrestler. He's a wrestling fan, and he's he's kind of dorky. So, as intense as he tries to be, sometimes the words don't really land. But I didn't mind this because you never thought Orton would turn on Ric Flair. Or at least Drew did it, not us. But Drew didn't think Flair would ever turn or Orton would ever turn on Flair. So he is shocked. He's like, bro, even. Flair, like, you're a sadistic son of a bitch. So it worked for me. It was, you know, just, I guess, a nice way to pontificate that, you know, Orton is, in fact, all on his own and and willingly so.
2: I think they kind of teased Orton turning on Flair last week when Rick told Brady about what happened with
3: Kevin Owens. Because yeah, see but see that look Orton. Drew didn't think Drew that didn't that would happened. I'm not Drew. talking
2: about us. Do you think this adds anything extra to the Orton character? And more to the point here, we talked about the lack of fans here. Do you think that this segment would have come off as well as it did with with actual fans in the arena? Because I'd almost I think be worried so. that I people also... would de- I'd be worried that people would decide to go into business for themselves and cheer Orton for kicking Flair.
3: I think it would depend where they did it. Um but the emotion that Flair and Orton had in their promo really is what, what carried it over. So I think that they would have uh I think that they would have been just fine. All right.
2: Notes from the underground. We'll do this quick hit style. You ready? <sighs> yeah. Riddick Moss. Even in the underground he looks
3: like a clown. <laughs> I didn't care about him before. I don't care about him now.
2: Gabacho, Babatunde, the seven-foot-tall gigantic fucker.
3: Um, this is the one that Shana ended up like going face to face with for a second.
2: Might have been.
3: All I know is that like, if there are no rules, then why not let Shayna fight the guy? Um. You know, like, just whatever. There's no rules, right? Um, There was a lot of, I think in every single match except for Shayna's that we saw here, there were a lot of cuts that were masking moves that didn't land, but it was incredibly obvious. There was a high kick that was masked. There was a slam against, uh, like, a steel sheet and then a punch that didn't land that was, like, the the cut... The cuts have to go. If you're trying to sell me something new and different and real, then you can't have the production truck pressing buttons every single move. It makes it no different than the WWE. And you also can't have Dominic getting his ass beat, bruised, in the opening of the show and then tell me that this is more vicious and more gritty and more underground and more real. You can't can't do that. Arturo Ruas, who was the thrower
2: of the aforementioned kick that didn't land,
3: yeah, yeah, well, whoever it was, I don't care about these people. I didn't run to my laptop to look them up, um, just not this whole thing i i, I i'm un- you, I'm uninterested you
2: know, what my prob- you know what my problem with the Arturo Ruas thing was? That spinning kick that he did for his finish, that's black fucking
3: mass.
2: (laughs) And Alistair has hit that clean almost every single time. There was one that we talked about before where he kind of grazed somebody with it, but then he picked the person back up and delivered a second one and flushed them on the jaw with it. You can't throw a worked kick like that in MMA when Alistair Black is flushing people in the ring with the move. She yeah a not, and three then, women I'm, none of whom we care about
3: no and i I'm not one to ask for it, which may sound weird coming from me, but the women are gone after one week, so the one of the things that you sold me on being so underground is now gone, yeah, there were no dancing hoochies tonight, no, and I don't care i they did nothing for me one way or the other, but it's just that was one of the things that you sold us on, and now they're gone which, again, shows you being completely unaware of your current um, surroundings. The world at large is not okay with that right now.
2: <laughs> Let me ask you this real quick. Sonya Deville kind of mentioned that she wouldn't mind stepping into the underground. If they can make a way to do this without actually having them kill each other, what would be your interest level in Shayna Baszler and Sonia Deville? <sighs>
3: None. I don't think anybody comes out of that a winner unless they do an actual MMA thing and that's not why people watch wrestling so I don't think it's going to work, period.
2: Do you remember my exact quote about Underground last week, Tony? What was that? You know what the only thing worse than real MMA is?
3: Mm Mm-hmm. Fake MMA. Yep. Can't, Can't deny that. Because, you know, the thing is, wrestling fans watch wrestling because of the drama, because of the, the action. There are some MMA fights that would bore people to death because they don't watch the sport. They don't really know what's going on. They don't know why this front face lock matters more than a ground and pound. They don't know why this hold that this guy's had for 37 seconds, which is a long time, matters more than a straight kick to the face. So, and I'm not saying that, you know, we're more educated than them. I don't know half the shit. And I've seen MMA matches where I'm like, what? This is, I don't care about this. Why? Because I'd much rather watch a 30-minute match between Kurt Angle and Chris Redacted. You know, like, uh, there's a reason for that. Because we enjoy the drama and the intensity and the scripted format of it. MMA, on its own in a wrestling world won't work because people don't watch it for that. Now, if you go to your friend's house on a Saturday and watching a UFC pay-per-view, you know what you're getting, you know what you're buying, and you're ready for it, and you're hoping for that knockout. I know a lot of friends who that's just that's all they're waiting for. They're waiting for someone to get knocked the fuck out. That's not going to happen in a scripted MMA you know, format. And if it is, you're almost undoubtedly going to be able to tell. Like the camera
2: edited black mass that Arturo Ruas threw. Yeah.
3: But he missed.
2: Here's, Here's the thing with Raw Underground. I get that there's a certain part of the audience that this probably does appeal to. Tony and I are not part of that audience. It's that simple. I don't care for it. It does nothing for anyone involved. It's not going to make anybody a bigger name on Monday Night Raw. It's there as a vanity project for Shane at this point right now. Because Shane is a big MMA fan, and Shane wanted to do something with MMA before Shane ended up leaving the wrestling business. Did I tell that story last week on the podcast, Tony? Yeah. About Shane trying to buy the UFC? Yeah, yeah,
3: you you mentioned it.
2: Yeah, that's why they're doing this. Because Shane likes this. And because they're desperate. And desperate creative does desperate things. This week's episode of Raw was better top to bottom than last week's was, and we're about to go into our final reaction for it. but you will never have a full episode of Monday Night Raw be as good as it has been if Raw Underground is going to be a part of it going forward, and that is my honest belief of that. Remember what's your favorite thing about Raw Underground last week was, Tony, about how MVP Lashley and Shelton came in and ran the place?
3: I mean, even that I had issues with, but Sure. Yeah, why did they not care this week? Didn't they say that they were going to run Raw Underground? Exactly. Not a
2: single mention of their involvement this week. They showed the little clip of it at the beginning, and that was it. Not a single mention of Lashley, MVP, or Shelton involved in Raw Underground this week. Because they don't fucking care. It's time for the final reaction. Favorite match or moment this week, Tony?
3: Uh Bailey versus Oscar for sure. Good job, ladies.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna second that, although I'm gonna give an honorable mention to who I'm gonna discuss a little bit later for MVP as well. <coughs> My throat's really dry, give me a second.
3: <clears throat> Greg Watry. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give it to the the new band of misfits that are currently con- inconveniencing the Raw and SmackDown roster minorly. I mean, you cut the ropes see, I, at the end of the show. Who are you really pissing off?
2: See, I enjoyed how they did it on SmackDown a little bit more than tonight on Raw, but I think the ninja thing with the Kozawa pissed me off more. Yeah, okay. Like a... a Eventually the retribution thing is going somewhere.
3: Whether or not we'll
2: like where it goes is entirely discretionary, but it's going somewhere. You've been doing this shit with Akira and the ninjas for three months now and nobody cares.
3: And you just threw all the rules of wrestling out the window for a... I don't even know. It wasn't even like a show of finisher. It wasn't even like, oh, that shit was a comedy match. Oh, that was an amazing move. Yeah. Who's your
2: MVP for the week, Tony?
3: Um, I feel like I feel like I want to give it to Bailey because she doesn't get a lot of love, um, and um, tonight proved that you know the girl's got it going on, more so than just being a, a great heel. She's also a great wrestler.
2: I'm going to keep my comment about her ring gear to myself. Hmm. Just. State that Bailey got cake, I believe is how the kids would put it. And speaking of cake, my my MVP is Otis. <laughs> Segue. Uh fantastic job from the big man on SmackDown the genuine fire that he showed in the promo that he cut. And then you could tell that he wanted to beat Vincent Morrison's ass in that match because they upset his, they upset his, his speech. They upset his His Southern Rose. Otis wanted to whoop their ass and he came across like he wanted to whoop their ass. It, it, It was nice to see a more serious side from the big fella.
3: True.
2: Overall show rating for Monday Night Raw, Tony.
3: Um, I think I put it at a 5.5. 5. Um, solid effort from Orton, Bailey, Oscar, Owens, um, but there's just ah, there's just so much crap that they haven't been able to, you know, either get rid of completely or, you know, try to fix before it goes to hell. Seven. Lost
2: significant points for the Akira Tozawa segment. Lost some points for the underground involvement or not the under, for yeah, the underground involvement. Lost points for retribution, not getting involved at ringside, instead focusing once again on disrupting backstage like they did last week when I didn't care about them. Everything else I thought was good to great. McIntyre showed that he's taking Orton very seriously while still standing up for Ric Flair. Orton and Owens put in a banger. Sasha and – or not Sasha. Oscar and Bailey had arguably the best match in the last two months in, on WWE television for the opportunity for Oscar to face Sasha at SummerSlam. And Angela Dawkins, despite the fact that his ring gear ne- – his ring work needs a little bit of tightening up, came across like he was genuinely pissed off about what happened to Montez last week and that he was doing this for Tez. Yeah, man. The street profits are up, and Angelo wanted to smoke.
3: (laughs) Still kind of dumb.
2: That's that's as hip as I get, though. To to steal the old Jerry Lawler line, I'm closer to hip replacement than hip. I think that wraps us up for the week, Tony. Yep. again um, best wishes to the family of James Kamala Harris thanks for the memories big man uh, may you find peace in the next life now that you're free of what this life has I know things have gotten kind of rough for him towards the end so I wish him the best there are you making food Tony because you sound like you're making food
3: and I'm trying to I'm hungry.
2: What's on the menu? I'm hungry too. Maybe you'll give me an idea for what I want for a snack.
3: Chipotle chicken, broccoli, and some rice. I'm going ice cream pocket.
2: <laughs> he's the down well. since, He's the down since day one co-host Tony Acero. I'm Harry Broadhurst. You have been listening to the reaction. a presentation. Of the Chair Shot Radio Network. We'll be back at you again next Monday night at eleven thirty PM as we give you your preview and predictions episode for the two thousand and twenty edition of SummerSlam here on the reaction online with the ChairShot Radio Network at thechairshot.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next week.
3: Deuces, bitches. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head.
2: Pay per view predictions return next week. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next Monday night here on the reaction a presentation of the Chairshot Radio Network.